or when we come together and we have these times and when we do church throughout the week in our gospel communities, when we meet up in twos and threes and whatever else we do, serving people and all the rest of it, the, the presence of God goes with us because we're the household of God. And so that's why we're excited about it because it speaks of all that Jesus Christ is doing and will do until his return. Jesus loves the church. The church is his betrothed. Jesus laid down his life for the church. When Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? He feels it that closely. And if you've been hurt by the church or burnt by the church or you're sitting there thinking, I don't like the church, listen, the Lord wants to bring healing and restoration to you so you can learn to love what he loves and, uh, and, 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 and be kept from that strange Christian existence which is isolated uh, and, and not safe. So that's where we're going, that's why we're excited about it. And we're going to just read these two verses here, verses 15 and 16. So the war was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elu, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. We can keep this slide up here. That's, that's, that's the passage today. Father, we just commit these words and just say, Lord, please do something amazing. I'm not amazing, but you are. I pray, please God, through the words that I speak, as I unpack your words, do some incredible things. I pray for those here that are just cynical. They've just had enough. and can't wait for this thing to finish, to get out. I pray they'd meet you in an incredible way. I pray for those who are just bored, just apathetic, and just would rather be doing 101 other things. I pray God meet them in an amazing way. I pray for those who are engaged and just just on the front foot. I pray, God, come and encourage them. I, I pray for the work of the Spirit, that you would do, in one sense, as many things as there are people in this room. I pray for that, and I pray for these guys. I pray soft hearts. I pray ears to hear what you're saying. Do some, birth some things. Do some surprising things. Let it be like a prophetic sermon. Let it be that you are, you are creating things, even through the message I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so I want to just draw your attention to the fact that it's quite a strange thing, really. Jerusalem wasn't a big player in the world. It wasn't like a huge deal. There were plenty of other cities that were much more significant politically, militarily. Jerusalem wasn't really a big deal. It had its moments, its golden era, but really it wasn't a huge thing. It was a, where, it's, where its place is very strategic for travel and trade. And as a result, that would be one of the reasons why you know, the city sort of grew up there, naturally speaking, but it wasn't a big player. So in one sense, it's quite interesting that Nehemiah says, when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. It's a funny thing that actually the state of this city had implications for the surrounding nations. How, the well-being of this little city actually had massive consequences for the nations surrounding it. There was something significant about this city beyond its natural... It, it punched above its weight. Is one way of putting it. Because God had chosen this city to be his dwelling place, and almost like in this time period, the purposes of God were centered on this city and this nation, the whole idea being that the people of this nation would, um, would live in accordance with God's ways. And as a result, the society would be so stunning, so merciful, so compassionate, so just, so different, frankly, from every other nation around it that, that even the nations themselves would look and would be drawn to that 
and drawn to God ultimately through it. That was the idea. There would be a light to the nations. Um, and that was God's heart. And that's why, there's this, that's why there's this significance. And so that should help you understand the significance of the church in these days. It was just a signpost. The whole idea now is that the church, God's people together, will make those around look and say, what is that? That's incredible, rather than that's ridiculous, or rather than that's pathetic, or that's incredible. Jesus says, let your, let, do your good works, you know, in public. Don't hide your light so that those around you may see your good works and, be, and glorify your Father in heaven. They'd see beyond it. So there's no way that group of people could do that naturally. God is with them. That's the whole kind of idea. And what I want to really communicate today through today's um, message is just to communicate the, the God's global heart. I want you to catch it. It's so important that we catch it, that, that he carries in his heart the nations. And I want to show you from scripture how that works and show you why, in a sense, the more glorious the church becomes, the more the nations of the world will be impacted through that. I want to reveal that, show you how the Bible talks about that. It's a beautiful thing. But in order to do that, I've just got to take you through a few scriptures, just lay a bit of a foundation so you understand where I'm coming from. Is that okay? Yeah? So if you go right back to the beginning, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, I'll read it to you. God says this, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion, that's like rule, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, here's the key here, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now you can look at that from two angles. You can look at it very naturally. They're going to just multiply, have kids and fill the earth. Great, fine. But then if you remember, hold on a minute. What are these people? They're image bearers of God. Ah, so when God says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, he's saying fill the earth with my image. That's the key. God's heart from the beginning is that through his people, the earth would be filled with his image. And and the word here, dominion or rule, means that the way that we demonstrate God's image is that we rule or have dominion in the way that he does. So we are, as people made in God's image, naturally made to rule over creation, but in a way that looks like him. So we're to rule benevolently, we're to rule compassionately, we're to rule by serving. But there's a rule, nevertheless, an authority that's on us from God. That's the purpose of God in terms of filling the earth with his image. Um, we live in a society that's really anti-authority because there's been a lot of abuse of authority. Whether it's pastors, or whether it's police, or whether it's teachers or parents, it can build something into your spirit where you naturally kick against authority. And someone says, do something, your instinct is, why should I, or whatever. It's actually authority, fundamentally, is a good thing. Highly explosive, but a good thing. And if you don't like authority, you're going to really struggle with God. Because that's who he is, the king. He's the ultimate authority. And his call on people is to represent his rule and his authority, rule like I do on the earth. That's what you're called to do. It's quite a staggering thing. So, there, so the first thing to point out is that God's plan is, for, is for a, uh, to globally populate the earth with his image. Okay? Then we have the fall into sin where Adam and Eve turn against God, go their own way, and sort of judgment ensues. And, but what you find is even though judgment is ensuing and we've fallen away from God and all of that, God, there's always someone that God's continuing kind of godliness through. First it's kind of, you've got Cain and Abel, you've got Abel, you know, then you have Seth, then you have Noah. And, and then you get Abraham. Abraham's a massively important uh, deal when it comes to the purposes of God. This is what God said to him. I want you to follow, the, follow this, 
thread through. God said to Abraham, now the Lord said to Abraham, Genesis 12, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you. I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great, so you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And listen to this. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? So you've got God's desire to populate the whole globe with his image. Now you've got God's desire to bless the whole globe through Abraham and Abraham's seed. So you see, the purposes of God are always global. It's really important that you understand this. Even though there's a season, of, a season where there's Jerusalem and Israel and all of that, yeah, but it was always pointing towards God's purpose, which is global. Globally populate with his image, now globally bless through Abraham's seed. It's God's desire to bless the whole world. You understand that? God loves the nations. God's heart is to bless the nations through Abraham's seed. That's what he's about. That is the purpose of of God. It's not some little uh, parochial, sort of local little thing. Oh, God's doing this over here. No, it's the blessing of the whole earth to Abraham's seed, um, being Jesus. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. See, I don't know if you realise this. Basically, the whole deal with Jesus is that he comes to fulfil the promise given to Abraham. It's, not, it's, not, it's, it's, it's the Jews, yeah, but you know, Jew, the Jews were called God's vineyard. Uh, God's vine, and so, but they blew it time and time again. When Jesus comes, born as a Jew, born under the law, and starts saying things like, I'm the true vine, what he's saying is this, I am Israel. I am Israel. I am the seed of Abraham through which all the, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so you see this kind of funnel of the people of Israel going into one, constantly failing, backsliding, turning to other gods, and then this one Jew is born under the law, who completely fulfills the law in every beautiful and perfect way, lives a sinless life. So in that sense, you're completely the only human to ever have lived and been pleasing to God by his own righteousness. Okay? This is the only one who will get to heaven on his own merit. Okay? None of us get to heaven on the fact we've been good. Okay? It's just, I know most of you know that, but in case you hear it and you've never heard that before, just want to sort of burst that bubble, burst that myth. You don't get to heaven by being good. Well, well, well you could, but none of us are, so you don't. Okay? Um, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Okay? That's what the Bible says. So we've all fallen way short of the mark of what we were made for, this bearing his image. We are ruined and corrupted by sin. Jesus comes, completely fulfills the law, lives, lives a life of perfect obedience to the Father, and in every way uh, is commended to the Father by his own righteousness. He is the real example of what a human should be. Where Adam messed up, Jesus obeyed. Okay? And then he fulfills the curse of the law, by, by becoming a curse of sin for us on the cross. So even though he's undeserving, he then takes our place as sinners on the cross by appeasing the wrath of God towards us, by taking in his body the punishment for our sin. And, um, and so in that, that, that's why we come, in, come into God's presence like this today, confident, assured, and all of that, and we're not holding back, trembling. Why? Because we know the wrath of God over our sin has been appeased at the cross. It's not because God's not interested in wrath anymore. God's changed. I know he's always the same, just as holy as he's always been. But we know that his holy wrath has been appeased through the substitute of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So now we can come because his righteousness has been given to us as a gift as our sin went on to him. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Incredible. Then Jesus is risen from the dead three days later to demonstrate that he is all that he said he was. He is the son of God, he is, he's overcome sin, he's overcome death, and now he rules and he reigns and he will return one day to make all things new. Okay? So, so we live in the period of time now, Jesus' reign, where God is looking to bless through Christ and through Christ's people every nation. Okay? And then finally at the end, 
In Revelation 22, when it's all wrapped up, we read this. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river and the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. There it is, again. So we've got God's desire to populate the whole globe with his image. God's desire to bless the whole globe to Abraham's seed, Christ. Now it's God's desire to bring healing to every nation through the return of Christ, through, through, through Christ's victory. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. And they'll need no, they'll need no light or lamp of, or, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they'll reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So I want you to catch God's heart for the nations. It's always been for the whole earth and it still is now. But if you were listening to the scripture, you would have noticed that it doesn't sound like that here. Jerusalem's in good shape. It's been built. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Actually, it looked like here that Jerusalem's well-being is bad news for the nation. You see that? It's not the nation's way. Great, Jerusalem's been rebuilt. Now we're going to be blessed. It's actually, oof. Now what's going on here? Here's what is going on here. When the gospel prospers and God's people, the church, are doing well and the message is going out, it will destroy the pride of the nations. Before the, in order to enter into God's blessing, there's a brokenness that comes first. You don't just breeze into God's blessing. And you don't triumphantly march into God's blessing. There's a brokenness that comes. See, the Bible teaches that, since, it says, since the world in its wisdom didn't come to know God, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching, or the message preached, to save those who are coming to him. So there's a, in God's heart, there's a deliberate strategy to completely undermine the wisdom of the world. And, to, and, and really to bring a message to people saying, you know what, you can't make it on your own to God. You can't figure it out. And you can't come to God with your kind of negotiating thing. Okay, Lord, I'll follow you if you do this or if you do that. That's not how it works. The whole idea is this, is that you come to the cross and you are broken by it. That your pride is smashed to pieces by it. That you realise that actually you are a low-life scum without Jesus. That's the idea. Sorry. That's, what you're, that's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to see yourself for what you are because you see him hanging on the cross in all the grossness of it and then you suddenly realise that he is carrying your grossness. He is marred by your sin. That The horror of that man broken on the cross is the horror of what you bring in your heart to the table. You see... That, that's how this thing works. Which is why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is this. If you want to know the kingdom of heaven and blessing, there's a poverty of spirit that comes first. Will you realise, I haven't got it. There's nothing worse than walking into a church where everyone acts like they've got it. Like they're the man. Or like they're the most spiritual thing since Julian of Norwich or whatever. Do you know what? There's a... 
the aroma's not right. There's no, there's no understanding, actually, of the reality of this thing. Yes, we're blessed. Yes, we're more than conquerors through Christ and all of that. But actually, the way we come into that is recognising, I can't do it. Actually, you know what? Without Jesus, I'm in a lot of trouble. I just want to ask you do, you, do you know that? Do you get that? Do you feel that? You really need to. You really, because you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you feel that in your heart, it will take you to Jesus in a whole new way. You'll come to Jesus as someone needy, as someone who actually you really feel, I need Jesus. And he will, he will respond to that. Why? Because a bruised reed he will not break. And a, a smouldering wick he won't snuff out. But you come to him proud, he'll bruise you. You come to him filled with your own light, you'll blow on you. So you've got to understand that's how it works because... Because pride is an ugly thing to the eyes of God. It really is. And that's, the gospel deals with our pride. If you get the gospel, right, if you get it, you should deal with your pride. If you get the gospel, you shouldn't be looking at Jimmy Savile going, oh, terrible. You should in one sense because it's terrible. But not in a sense that you're somehow different. Not, if that's in your heart, watch it. If that's in your heart, be very careful. We are objects of mercy. We are objects of grace. And surely if we believe the gospel, we believe no one is beyond redemption. That the blood of Christ can deal with the, the foulest. Why? Because he saved me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, you carry that as a Christian, don't you? Well, he saved me, so surely you can save that person because he saved me. Surely that's what we feel as believers, isn't it? We, we, we ought to. We ought to. We come face to face with our sin and we find, man, he beats it and changes me. Incredible and beautiful. Do I hear an amen? I hear an amen. I hear an amen. Which is why all national, all national pride and all national shame should be left at the door of the church. Anything, anything, the pride of the nations is broken by the gospel, right? So I can be glad I'm from this country, but there's still not to be a pride that comes with it, or even a shame that comes with it, because, you know, it's by God's sovereignty. I've been born in English. I'm an English person. That's what it is. I can't change it. There's bits I like about it. There might be bits that I'm not amazed about. But you know what? Any pride in me? No. Any shame in me? No. Why? Because the gospel redeems and deals with both. It deals with the pride, and it deals with the shame. And so you see, actually, as the nations realise this, oh, look, God is doing something here, and the nations come and they're broken, and then they're lifted up through the mercy of God, something incredible and global begins to happen. You begin to see the church becoming what it ought to be. Suddenly, the church begins to look like something global, something beautifully diverse, something incredible and amazing, through which the river of God, the Spirit of God, can flow. There should be this sense of, you know, all of us kind of losing our own esteem about ourselves and that kind of our pomp and all of that. And then, but from, that's not where it ends. Then we find the gospel and we come together. And, and the, the church is to, be made, is to be a community of made up of people that have been brought low by the gospel and lifted up by the gospel. Amen? Yeah, we are those who have been brought low but lifted up. And so the way we live our lives is we get alongside those who are down and we lift up. Because right, that's, that's the pattern of our lives, isn't it? 
God came down and rescued us as Jesus Christ and lifted us up. That's what we do now. I just preached on that the other week. Now, I want to just refer to a prophetic word that was spoken over us from day one, and then I'm going to bring in some application, and then we're done. Julian Adams, who many of us know and love, is a great prophetic voice in our movement. He spoke, prophesied over us, I think, two or three days before we launched, back in 2007. He said, from day one, you will have an apostolic foundation, not a pastoral foundation. The word apostolic means sent. There'll be something, there'll be something about you as a church, which is a movement. There's a, there's a sense of being sent. And I think God is in the process of fulfilling that in, in numbers of ways. Um, I think we all take seriously our calling to be sent into our community, don't we? We, that, we take that seriously. We're not just here to pass the time and sing some songs. We've been sent. Yeah? Even those of us who stay, we go. Yeah? But also we've sent people and we continue to support, love and bless those that we've sent. We've sent, you know, uh, you always sort of, it's always scary to mention some because you always forget others and you feel really bad afterwards. But, you know, we've sent people to places and, um, and praise, praise God, you know, there's an ongoing connection, um, support and all the rest of it. And, um, that, and I think we're going to see so much more of that as the years go on. So there's a grace on us. There's a grace on us for that. And God wants to give us a big heart to be able to carry more and more people and maintain that connection. Because we recognise that through us, through our prayers and support, actually God's heart for the nations is being worked out. And if God's heart for the nations is being worked out in every church, and man, you know, this, this thing's gonna this thing's gonna fly. So we should be able to carry that in our hearts. But also I really do believe it's on God's heart to bring massive diversity among us that we've not yet known. The nations are on our doorstep. We should be much more mixed than we are. I believe that being part of an apostolic church, church with an apostolic sent foundation, is that even as you come in, you just, the nations are everywhere. And I want to just say, I believe that's God's heart for us and that we need to embrace that. But it's more than, that involves more than saying amen. <laughs> it involves engaging meaningfully with people of different cultures. And that's hard work sometimes. It's a lot easier to have some people around that are just the same as you. But it means, it means demonstrating the reality of the gospel in the way we spend our time and live our lives. It means overcoming natural fears of certain other nations, races, people groups or prejudices or suspicions and dealing with that. Not in a kind of a naive way, but in a sense of the gospel. We can overcome this in Jesus. This is a big stuff. And I feel that God wants us to carry this in our heart. I feel that the, the last thing we, need, we want to become for God's glory, we don't want to become a cliquey church. A church where this gang hang around there well, because fundamentally they're the same. <laughs> and this gang do this well because they're the same. But it's a crisscross and a rich tapestry of beautiful, real relationships with one another that point to God's heart for the nations. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people that came in and came in amongst us, they just got it straight away because it's, love is tangible. In a way that lovelessness is tangible, you can smell it a mile off, can't you? That love is too. You just know, this is authentic, this is real. So people love one another and look at, look at, they're from all different backgrounds and different communities. The Lord really wants to redeem the whole cultural diversity thing. I think the, the world's best attempt is to say, you know, sometimes, I don't know, maybe we're just kind of trying to find a common denominator. God's way is saying, bring the best of every culture and let's be impacted by it. 
Let's, be, let's, let's learn from one another. I think this is so important. I want to do something, man, that's, that's a bit unusual. I want, to ask, I want to ask those of you in the room that would, for some, for some reason, you would say there is some element to which you would not completely own being English. Yeah? Because there's, there's scales to this thing, aren't there? I get it. To some degree, there's something about you that would say, to some, it, could be, it could be your roots, it could be where you were brought up. You might be ethnically, mum and dad English, but you were brought up in Indonesia, you know. Or it could be that you were brought up in England, but your ethnic roots aren't English. Or it could be, any, there's, there's a real strong association in your life where you just struggle to fully say, 100%, I'm English. Because uh, I, I, I want to speak to you, I want to bless you. I want us to say some stuff to you that's going to that's gonna help you. Now, before you stand, I just want to say, at this point, don't start, don't start thinking, if I stand up there, they're going to they're gonna wonder why I'm standing up because they think I'm English. Don't worry about all that, all right? Just, you know, in your heart, for some reason, there's something about you would say, I'm here, you know, but I'm not, 100%, I'm not saying I'm English. Can you just stand to your feet? Well, what I want to say to you guys is this. This is your church as much as anyone else's. This is a church in England, okay? But it's not to be an English church in that sense. We'll do stuff in English because English people don't know how to speak other languages. (laughs) Everyone knows it, yeah? So... And, and, of course, you know, our context determines certain, determines certain things. But I do believe it's God's heart that the nations are powerfully represented here. Powerfully represented here. And that, and that you need to know there's a contribution you guys can bring to us that will help us. And it's, it, it won't be great if the English guys shape everything. Because there are gaps in our culture. Yeah, there are, gra- there are gaps in our culture like, you know, knowing how to greet each other well. Hi. You know, we struggle a bit. Yeah, there's a warmth that sometimes we lack. Sometimes we're not great at looking one another in the eye and encouraging one another and saying the things that need to be said. Sometimes, we, sometimes in, that, in those areas, we're not great. Um, sometimes we're a bit stiff and struggle... Not, not knowing how to dance, although I'm very good. <laughs> uh, um, I'm a bit of a, I'm, I've got a genetic strand of something in me, I think. When I married Davina, I suddenly got rhythm. No, I don't know. But uh, I want to say this to you. We, we need you. We genuinely need you. And we want you to bring the contribution of who you are, not just as a Christian, but as a Christian with the, the national flavour that you have, needs to add to this church. And I really want to sort of charge you not to go passive on us. Don't go passive on us. Don't assume they know what they're doing, they've got it all fixed. We need to learn so much and we want to grow so much. There are things you can contribute. There are things you will notice that the English ones won't because we're just used... Please, just, just say, hey, have you ever thought of this? We probably have never have and it will really help us. I want to charge you, please don't go passive. Please don't... Please don't assume that um, you haven't got a voice. You do have a voice. We want to bless you 
and we want you to we want to fully just so receive and benefit from who you are. Is that okay? Yeah. Right now, English people. No, you lot stay standing. <laughs> English people. We're going to end this sermon. Here's how we're going to end it. Is um, I want us to just get around these guys and bless them. And when I say that, English people go, oh no, I don't know what to do by that. Yeah? Am I right? Thanks, Andy. <laughs> bless them can be everything from just, from just saying words of encouragement to just English people who lovely twitching. Your hand on someone's shoulder. Praying for someone. I want, I, I want us. It's something about moving. There's something about moving and just logistically mo- and just being together and blessing one another that I think will just really help. Is that okay?